there's going to be probably some ideas that we've thought of that it's going to output and maybe some ideas that we know we know but maybe we didn't think of at the time and it might remind us of that and there also might be some brand new ideas for us to look at and, and evaluate and, and see if maybe those would fit into our instruction. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. If you're watching the news or reading pretty much anything, you've heard of the recent artificial intelligence or AI technology, ChatGPT. So when my friend and colleague, Joe DeLugo, from the Washington State School for the Blind, asked if we could chat about it on A Sense of Texas, I was all in. We may not know all the implications just yet, but it's sure fun to talk about. All right, I'm Joe DeLugo, and I work for the Washington State School for the Blind. I'm a teacher of students with visual impairments, a certified orientation and mobility specialist, and a certified assistive technology instructional specialist. And I work as the state manager for our grant program to train uh, TSVIs and O&M specialists. And this is all within the outreach department there in Washington State. And uh, how long have you been in that department? Right, I've been in the outreach department since 2005. So you also mentioned that you do uh, a statewide mentor program as well. How many TVIs in training do you have to sort of keep track of? Yeah, so at any given time, uh, it's about five to 10 TVIs that I'm assisting along with their adventures through student teaching. The program's about five or six years old, and uh, we've put through about 40 new vision professionals in the state of Washington. And what's kind of cool about it is that for the first time in a long time, we've been able to fill some areas of, of really high need in the state and, and get a lot of teachers in there and get the students the services that they need. And do you also carry a little bit of a caseload still? I do. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of cool to still be able to get out and teach and you know call some of the shots on my own. So yeah, I do keep a little caseload. I have a handful of orientation mobility students, and uh, I have one student currently who I'm a TSVI for. Just kind of keeps me grounded and keeps me up to date with what's going on in the field. So I think I haven't had, I haven't provided direct service in almost five years now. And it does, like you notice that you sort of lose your edge a little bit. So I think it's really important that you're doing that, and especially working with new teachers. Right, right. And especially as a mentor, you know, being able to be out and about and actually putting the strategies and tools into practice is so important to be able to do it yourself instead of just communicating what other people should do. So I'm appreciative of that. And I think that's a really important thing to be able to do in the role of a mentor. Now, you had said that you are a certified AT instructional specialist, or AKA CADIS, I think is what they call yeah. it. Um, yes. Not a lot of people know what that is. So do you want to briefly just share how you got that certification and what the focus is? Yeah, so uh, a CADIS is uh, it's a new certification uh, from ACVRAP that was designed to honor the idea that assistive technology has become huge in our field. It's become not only a means of access, and in many cases, the means of access to a lot of things. 
Well, and it feels like it's changing all the time. So I imagine staying up on the current AT trends and, and access options for our students is kind of a whole field in itself. Yeah, it is. That's one of the things about the certification is they really recognize that your technology is advancing at such a fast speed and we really do need to keep up with it. Speaking of advancing technology, that's why we're here today. You and I have worked together since I think like 2011 on and off. And when you reached out about the topic of AI, I was really excited to hear what you had to share because it seems to be sort of what everybody's talking about right now. And one of the things you mentioned was just the topic of chat GPT. So can you try to explain that to us with a little info on the topic and like what the heck is chat GPT? Yeah, what the heck is ChatGPT? Okay, so how about I start with like what is artificial intelligence? So artificial intelligence, or let's call it AI, it's it's been a term we've used for a long time, and unfortunately, AI kind of suffers from not having an extremely clear definition of it. Over the years, it's been used in a lot of multiple contexts, and I say over the years because this term goes way back. So let's say it's the 1970s, and you're a teacher of the visually impaired, you might consider something like the Kurzweil OCR machine, optical character recognition machine, machine that printed text into voice. You might consider that as artificial intelligence because it could do the work of a human. Also, if it's the 1970s, you might think something like a pocket calculator, uh, something that we think is a fairly simple piece of technology now. Back then, it was, oh my gosh, wow, it's a pocket calculator is doing a lot of really advanced calculations for me. This is artificially intelligent to some extent. So in more recent times, let's say over the last 10 years or so, we would say that something like Apple's Siri or Amazon's Alexa, so virtual assistants, those are a form of artificial intelligence or self-driving vehicles are artificially intelligent. So what's new about this day and age uh, is there's a class of AI called generative AI. And these are tools that, well, they kind of present this extraordinary leap in ability. And they work by a user providing a text prompt and it could be something fairly simple. And with that prompt, it can output an answer to your request or an image with you know, sometimes extraordinary depth and accuracy. And some of these technologies can, with you know, even with a short three-second clip of a human voice, they can replicate it to say whatever a user would want that speaker to say. Um, and so you can see the power in it. ChatGPT is a chatbot, so hence the word chat in its name. The GPT stands for Generative pre-trained transformer. So chatbots are systems that allow you to communicate with them. And like I said, they produce these very human-like responses. And so how it works is you go to the OpenAI website, openai.com, you create an account, you're brought to uh, an interface where this is very simple text entry field. You type a request, you say, make me a list of the top 10 things a classroom teacher with a student with quickly progressing star guards needs to know. And then it's going to generate a response. And if you haven't done this before, really, you got to brace yourself because it's going to output a list that you may very well be startled by. And you may even see something that you didn't think of. Yeah, it's it looks like magic. It really does. And there's this really brilliant way that it works. It runs on what's called a large language model. And, and this is this giant algorithm that takes these extraordinarily large data sets. In this case, much of the data on the internet. I'm talking about billions and billions of bits of data. And it examines those pieces of content and it works to understand the relationships between words and, and it predicts from your input what the likely 
text is that's going to come next. The first time I used it was a couple of weeks ago with some friends and um, we put in like we pretended we were going on a trip somewhere. We were like, okay, we're going to go to this place for seven days, create us an agenda and make sure to include these few things, something like food that's like this and entertainment that's like this and live music. And it populated this incredible agenda, like did all the travel planning. <laughs> sort of amazing. It was very surprising because I had never used it before. It's really incredible. Yeah, it's it's kind of startling. Yeah, and I, I think of it kind of like Google. Using Google was like, a, it's a search engine, right? Mm -hmm. Like things to do in Austin, Texas. And you get a whole list of possible things to do. And then you got to go click around for those things to do. This chat GPT, generative AI technologies, these are like answer engines. You type in this request, and it gives you an answer. And there's not a whole lot of searching that needs to be done. So I know that AI, well, not AI as you defined it, because not all of those things are controversial, but ChatGPT has certainly brought up a little bit of controversy lately, but it could have some advantages. So first, let's talk about that. Like, what are some of the ways we could be using it in our work that might be helpful? So the advantages, you know, right off the bat is paperwork. And let's face it, if you're a TVI, TSVI in this field, your paperwork has gotten to be huge. In some ways, we can even consider it growing, and maybe its growth is kind of running away from us. So I know I know teachers out there who are routinely creating 10 to 20 page assessments, and, and this has got to stand out from other special education professions. So we assess for functional vision, we assess for learning media, expand core curriculum, there's CVI assessments, so orientation and mobility. In some cases, we do assistive technology, and this is before we even write the IEP. And so these assessments, they, they take a lot of time. And it's important to ask ourselves if that time is maybe better spent elsewhere, like teaching or creating materials. And, and I put this to the test to see if ChatGPT is going to you know, maybe make an impact with assessment and the time that I need to create assessments. So I created a, an orientation and mobility assessment, something that you know I usually need about three to four hours to do. And I did it in about half that time. And I, I simply just bullet pointed my observations. I dropped them into ChatGPT and requested summaries. And after that was done, I asked it to detail some recommendations. Some were good, some you know, not so much. I weeded out what I thought was effective. And there was my report. And wow, it saved me a ton of time. Yeah. And it might not be unlike a lot of what we do, you know, when we do evaluations and sometimes we copy and paste from our other evals because the students have similar visual needs or are similar functional levels within the ECC. And since we take all of our assessment recommendations from publications and we use the same publications every time, it's not uncommon for there to be similarities throughout our evals. So doing it in this way seems a little bit like that where you kind of pull what you want and you get rid of what you think isn't going to be effective yeah yeah like that and and plus the the added benefit of some articulation ideas i think a lot of energy goes into uh just coming up with the right words and word order to use in these assessments and uh, chat gpt can certainly help with that so you recently had an article that was published by Perkins, which I read, and you mentioned that ChatGPT could be a catalyst for creative inspiration. And I was wondering, what did you mean by that? That was such a cool phrase or way to say it. <laughs> 
Yeah, Catalyst to kind of really can can kick off a lot of neat ideas. I think that the you know the area where it can really inspire us is is uh, creating individualized instruction for students. We're really going to be able to personalize instruction a lot faster and possibly a lot more accurate. This is a, a technology where. Well, there are a lot of different kids that we work with and they all have individual needs and we have to be creative to to meet those needs. And so sometimes creativity can be very draining and very time consuming. And we don't always see a lot of possibilities the first, second, maybe even the third time around as we're trying to be creative to come up with solutions for a student. So having this technology where you can enter a student's visual condition their abilities, additional disabilities they might have, school dynamics, we can enter those into the prompt fields on ChatGPT. And it's going to come up with some you know, ideas for us. And we can mix those ideas with our own ideas. Uh, we can take little bits of articulation from those ideas so that we can maybe communicate solutions to classroom teachers and other staff in better ways. Uh, and really, it's I think going to open up a, a whole new world of creative possibilities for us. So when you say sort of assisting with the creativity, is it from the perspective that when you type in the information you're seeking, you're going to get ideas that you would have never thought of before through your normal resources that we always use? Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There's going to be uh, probably some ideas that uh, we've thought of that it's going to output and maybe some ideas that we know we know but maybe we didn't think of at the time and it might remind us of that and there also might be some brand new ideas for us to look at and, and evaluate and and see if maybe those would fit into our instruction so given this type of artificial intelligence accesses information on the internet, it seems misinformation could be a problem. So what are some of the drawbacks of chat GPT or how can you guard against that? Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of things to really consider when it comes to safety with this technology. And you know, there's a large and really growing community of people who want to see this rolled out safely. And I'm one of them. A tool this powerful, well, you know, some and, and actually a lot of people, you go check out the media and some would say that this may be a little reckless that technology companies could release something this powerful to the public without first verifying its safety. And we've seen this play out over the years with social media. And 20 years into that experiment, we still have very little regulation to rein in the powerful tech companies, hold them accountable for the harms that these technologies have caused. And in many cases, these companies, you know, they gain profit while externalizing the cost to society. So I really think it's important we're aware of what these costs could be for our field and for ourselves as individuals and as members of the society, you know, when using these tools. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it in terms of social media, but letting something kind of go without knowing the full ramifications of it is a little bit concerning. I guess it's the part of what you said, though, that when you're utilizing a tool like this, it's important to read through and edit. And that's where the professional comes in. You know, I would imagine some people are like, oh, this is going to take the place of, of people writing evals. And it won't for that whole concept of recognizing when something's appropriate, when it's not, when it fits what we know as a professional that we've been trained to look for in evaluations or, or recommendations, or when it's something just totally off the wall that we probably shouldn't include. 
But where do you see this technology taking us in this future? Should we be afraid or should we embrace it and try to improve upon it? Yeah, I I think there's, gosh, there's a lot of directions that this can head. And there's a lot of, you know, possible unforeseen drawbacks that we may encounter, maybe even in a short time, maybe several years down the road. But I'll say there's a lot of concern about the power of this technology. And, and maybe in its current form right now, what you're saying about, you know, we always kind of need a human in the loop so that uh, we can do things like check on the accuracy of information, the relevance of information for an assessment. That is something, yeah, absolutely, with the technology we have now. But leap ahead several years. What sort of advancements are we going to experience with this technology? And how much will it automate processes that we formerly thought required human oversight? So this technology is advancing at a very fast speed, really exponential growth. It's really a race to gain an upper hand for AI in the technology sector. So I think it just remains to be seen how this is going to play out. And, and yeah, are there concerns for this being like an existential threat? Absolutely. You'll see just about two or three weeks ago, there was a, uh, a letter signed by uh, some fairly prominent people saying that, hey, we should put a six-month pause on AI. I think that Elon Musk was a notable name on that. Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple. Uh, Tristan Harris, who was featured prominently in a you know, very broadly seen documentary, The Social Dilemma. He you know, we're talking about the dangers of social media. He was also on that. So we, we have a lot of concern about this. And, and certainly this is, is something that we, we need to consider as these tools take off uh, at the speed that they're uh, gaining capabilities at. What do you see as some of the drawbacks to our field, Joe? As far as our, our field goes, I can see a few things immediately. And this is really just not unique to our field. But first off is misinformation. Uh, I asked ChatGPT a lot of questions regarding our field. And although it was really good at returning the information, it wasn't perfect. And so it's, it's where having that human there, that teacher of the visually impaired, to verify that the output is truthful and accurate and, and relevant to our students is so important. ChatGPT and other large language models, they're trained to find relationships between words and parts of words. They're not trained to fact check themselves. So I think we're going to spend a lot of time fact checking and have to gain a lot of skills in that realm. And you know, what I'm hoping is that you know, we'll start to see maybe some software that acts as a countermeasure to the AI to uh, perform the fact-checking task for us. Right. Another concern that I have is perpetuation of biases. And this is where it can really start to sting us. And it's sad to say that you know, harmful stereotypes of a lot of communities still exist, and they can be really strong in this world. And, we're educators of a community that really can be targeted with those stereotypes. So when I first sat down to prompt ChatGPT for information about our field, I got a lot of undertones about inspiration for doing you know, relatively simple tasks, dependency, even maybe some elements of pity. And, and I really wouldn't consider that helpful to our mission of empowerment. That's a great point that I hadn't even thought about is all just the societal perceptions of blindness, not even just in current times, but historically, like that all data is out there too for, for an AI to pull from. I told ChatGPT to stop 
presenting it to me in that way. And I said, make it a more empowering message. And actually, I haven't gotten that type of output since then. So is ChatGPT learning from my response? Quite possibly. So another concern I I have uh, is something that maybe won't play out in the near term, but it's something to think about long term. It's uh, call it the creativity feedback loop. And I I think it's going to be really easy for teachers to just rely on GPT and other AI tools for creative content creation. And what if we over rely on these tools? And by that, I mean that most of us could use them. And there's a real threat to that because these tools are trained on existing data on the internet. And without the input of new data and new ideas, well, then we're just stuck in this time frame of what that tool is trained on, possibly without a means to advance. And so will this early excitement and advancement and ease we'll experience with this creative tool eventually make our field less dynamic in the long run? One more challenge is that uh, advanced expertise, something we've held to ourselves as practitioners in our field, is now going to be widespread. And so everyone will have access to many of the ideas and ways to articulate these ideas that took us years to develop in university programs and by experience. So this means that classroom teachers, parents, even our students are now going to have that just in their pockets. And that, you know, in in some ways would actually be considered an advantage, right? Uh, But if you look at it in, you know, maybe a different angle, is that the role of authority, being an expert, is a key motivator to moving society forward. And so how are we going to act and communicate in this new ecosystem and be educators who can still influence the success of our students? So there's a lot of unforeseen issues, too. And this stuff is progressing at really fast speed. It's truly an exciting time. It's also kind of unsettling to me. So, you know, deep fakes, potential job losses, intellectual property rights, malicious actors, it's fast moving. And uh, if we aren't actively learning about it and preparing for it, we could see a lot of consequences. Yeah, that's a good point about other people having access to our knowledge because you're right, people want to be an expert. They want to be the go-to for resources information. One of our biggest fears as TVIs is that we won't be included, for example, when considering accommodations for an assessment. And we want to be part of that team so we make sure our student has the tools they need to be successful. And there could come a time where a teacher's like, ah, the TVI is not going to be here for a month, so I'm just going to ask chat. GPT, what accommodations a low vision (laughs) kid needs for the state test, you know, for example. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think we're going to run into that probably sooner rather than later. So we talked about what this might look like going into the future, but what should TVIs consider regarding chat GPT moving forward? It's really important that we begin the conversation on these tools. And that's kind of what we're doing right now with this podcast. So that's great. And uh, so these tools are here to stay, and we stand a lot to gain from these. So it's important to talk about how we want to use these and begin to provide trainings and the skills that teachers are going to need to use them effectively. Uh, and, and with that, and maybe before that, we need to identify how our students could use these tools. I think there's going to be a lot of benefit there. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. 
Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. Thanks to Joe for bringing us some insight into what can happen now and what could be in the future. As Joe said, we need to keep a watchful eye, which hopefully isn't how. This is the last episode for season five of our little podcast. Be on the lookout for the season six kickoff on September 1st. We'll be changing the format up a bit and moving from two episodes a month to one, ensuring that the one will always be worth the wait. From the TSBBI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.